I've known uh, Pastor Donald for years now, and he has been coming to Zambia several years, and we used to have in Mnali constituency just a gathering for a few and some Lusaka residents. But hearing his heart and how much he loves Jesus, and today you will see how to preach Christ. Uh, and uh, this man has loved Zambia. Uh, he's the president and CEO or founder for the Partners International. He's pastoring a church called Corpus Christi. It started in a home and it has spread. He has so many sons all over the world. By the way, when he's done here on Saturday, do you know where he's going? He's going to Pakistan. He doesn't fear anything. It'd be Muslims. It'd be any, they just go and preach the gospel. It's my honor to receive uh, a father, an international father all over the world. Let's put our hands together and give him a Zambian welcome. Pastor Donald Lizelle. Hey, wow. Look, before we do anything, uh, let's pray. Jesus said that people ought to always pray and never lose heart, never give up, never be discouraged. So let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to whom we belong, we pray. We ask you to manifest yourself in this hall as you have done thus far. We ask you to make plain the gospel. We ask that Jesus would be magnified, enlarged, glorified. We ask that Jesus would not only be the center, but he would be our very life. Not just the center of our life, not coming only into our life, but becoming our life, that we will do nothing without him. We thank you for Jesus. Let our chorus be Jesus. Let the refrain that we always use on a daily basis be Christ, but not only in our words, but in our lives. Let us not only preach him, but let's live him and let our lives preach him in everything that we do. We want to thank you for who you are, what you have done. Who you are is unchangeable, and what you have done is unchangeable. I pray today that as you allow me to share my heart, which I believe is your heart, you will embolden me to share the unadulterated gospel, that I would do it without fear. I would do it with the boldness that Jesus, you preached, even at Nazareth. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for my brothers and my sisters, the bishops, the pastors, the evangelists, all of them. I pray that each of us, including myself, would be in my learning position. I pray that we would all adorn our learning position and that we would receive from your mouth through me to your people. Thank you so very, very much, Father, for, again, for who you are. 
what you've done. Thank you for Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And that may we all leave here knowing that who you are is unchangeable and what you have done cannot be undone. What you have done cannot be undone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand there. Amen. You may be seated if you will. I want to just thank Bishop Fortune. Bishop, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. I really appreciate you and your ministry. And I also, I would like to say, I am not appreciative that you preached so good before I came up here. I do want to thank the praise team. Thank you so much for beautiful praise. Uh, all of our praise should be unto the Lord. So thank you for that. It's not about us, it's about him. I want to just appreciate also all of the bishops I've met, the pastors I've met, and those of you I've known for a long time. And I want to just give a shout out to uh, Bishop Madindi from Zimbabwe. Uh, we have known each other since we were very young men. And we would dr uh, drive all over Zimbabwe, preaching like we had lost our mind. And did that all over. And God did mighty things. He came over to be a part. And I think I saw a Zimbabwe delegation over to my left. Wow, just wave at it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And South Africa, you are here. Thank you so much, South Africa. Wow. Wow. And uh, Lesotho, is that here? You're here? What's about Botswana? Botswana? Thank you so much, Botswana. And where are the other nations? Uganda. Yes, Uganda. You're here, aren't you? Yeah, Uganda. And of course, Zambia. Uh, Zambia, thank you so much for being here. I I want to just take my time here th today, talk a little bit about Jesus Christ. For me, Jesus is everything. He's everything. And the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing. And without him, nothing. Without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. But I think we have to pause to, to get the import or the impact of that amazing introduction to the new creation. In Genesis, we find that there's a, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We find that that was the beginning of the natural order. But in John, we find that Jesus is the beginning of the spiritual order, that things are made new. All things are made new. I want us to really concentrate on who he is and, and what he has done and not allow our old thoughts to keep us from learning something new. I've often said that the greatest enemy to new knowledge is the knowledge we already have. The greatest enemy 
The new knowledge is what you already know. So let's get into our learning positions today. My focus, my focus today and every time I preach is to direct hearts and minds to Jesus and not to our, our problems. To focus on Jesus because focusing on problems will always misdirect us. It will cause us to miss God's goal for which Jesus himself, not the achievement of something else, but Jesus himself is God's goal for all of us. That's what God wants for us. So Jesus also being our forerunner and leader from time, from the time he began his ministry at the Jordan River until now. Jesus Christ is our forerunner. Jesus Christ is our leader. He is our example in everything. But not only is he our example, but he is our very life. He is our eternal hope. And when we talk about hope, we're talking about an expectation of God. God has expectations for each of us. Therefore, he has given us someone who can take us to that blessed hope. In the 70s and the 80s, we heard a lot of preaching and teaching about faith, faith, faith. And faith has been misused so much because we did not use faith to get bring us closer to God, to a better understanding of Jesus. But in America, I know, or the Western world, people use faith to get things, not someone, not to understand someone, but to prosper materially more than spiritually. So Jesus is the one, the one person, the one being that Father God wants us to apprehend. He is that one person that he wants us to grasp. He is the one person that we are to lay hold of. If you and I laid hold of no one but Jesus, we would be much richer. We would be wealthier than the wealthiest billionaire on this planet. I want to just share a quick story with you about our early ministry. I, I was working in the oil business and working near here, somewhat near here in the Middle East, and realized that God wanted me to go home and start a church and uh, begin a ministry that would span the globe. And uh, I knew it, at the outset that my my message would be Jesus, but I, I was sort of like a person learning to ride a bicycle. I was wobbly, and sometimes I would go back to preaching on various subjects. If, so, if there were too many marriage problems, I would talk a bit about marriage for a while. If children were disobedient, I would deal with that for a little while, but always showing Jesus in some measure, though sometimes small. And I remember coming to a, the conclusion one day when I was preaching Christ, I got a revelation and I realized that from that moment on, I would do nothing but preach Christ. And I was every Sunday was something concerning Jesus Christ, not just calling his name, but also referring to his work. His work is a finished work. 
I read something that somebody said, this work's not finished. Yes, his work is finished. You and I enter into a finished work. And we keep on working. Nevertheless, the work is complete. Jesus did not go to heaven and leave an incomplete work. So I was preaching Christ every, 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 every week, Wednesdays, Tuesdays at that time, and, and also on Sundays. A young woman was tired of my preaching. She didn't like my preaching. And so she left the church. She found a, a friend of hers who was still at the church. She asked, uh, where are you going to church now? And the young lady said, oh, I'm still at the fellowship. She said, oh, I had to leave that place. That man preaches the same sermon every week. And I said, oh, no, I don't preach the same sermon every week. I preach the same man every week. Jesus is our preaching. We don't just talk about him. We talk him. He is he is the substance of everything that God is. He is the living reality. He is the reality in a human body. In John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, Jesus speaks. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So I've under, I understand how Jesus pre preaches, as it were, sometimes to us incrementally, because there's so many things in us that we cannot bear all the things that Jesus wants us to know. I believe that we can change the world. Maybe not in the way that many of us suppose, but we can change the world. What does that mean? It means that we can bring to the kingdom everybody who will be saved. That's what I mean by changing the world. I don't mean that, that all sinners will come to Jesus and then we'll have the millennium instantaneously. No, but we can, we can bring to salvation through Christ everyone who will be saved. Jesus said something to his disciples in John 16. He said, however, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now listen to what he says. So important. He says he is called the spirit of truth. And that means that when you and I receive uh, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that argues for Jesus Christ's divinity. So if anyone says Jesus is not a divine person, he says, yes, he is, because the spirit of God is within me now. Jesus is a divine person. He said he will guide you in all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority. So that means that whatever the Father and the Son say, that's what the Holy Spirit does. I do know I have friends who uh, and young people who will tell the Holy Spirit what to do. I have never been his counselor. He has not listened to me, but he has listened to the Father. And, and the Father, and he listens to the Son, and he tells us those things that they, that Father and Son want us to know. Jesus says he will glorify me. So everything that the Holy Spirit does is directed to Jesus. Can you remember when you were reading the scripture and Jesus was down at the Jordan being baptized by John? As he was being baptized by John, the Holy Spirit came from heaven and alighted upon Jesus Christ and he stayed there. He did not move. And John testified 
that this one is the Son of God. You and I must be convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, who God testified that he is, and the indwelling Holy Spirit stayed upon him, remained. We must be convinced of that. And as we are convinced of that, our testimony will become more powerful. He says, he will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things, Jesus says, that the Father has are mine. All things that the Father has of mine. They are mine. So let me give you something before we get to the conclusion. But all things that Jesus has belong to you. When you and I are convinced of this reality, we will walk in a new depth and a new height of spiritual authority. So often we talk about spiritual authority and we sometimes, and I don't say this to hurt anyone's feelings, but we're like Samson with his hair cut off. We're shaken, but no power. Christ is everything to the believer. I don't want anything in this world. Enough money to keep a roof over my head, take care of my wife, and do something for my children and grandchildren, perhaps. But the main reason I want wealth is that I might travel this globe and tell the world the Savior I have found. That, that should be all of our goal. Every minister of the gospel should not preach the gospel to enrich himself or herself, but we should preach the gospel because we can't do anything else. When I was living in the Middle East a number of years ago, I remember telling the Lord, I was a younger, much younger man, and I said, now Lord, I need you to call me to what you have called me to before I make a lot of money. I said, because if I get on that track where I make a lot of money, I'm going to keep making it. So call me while I don't have a lot. And he waited and he waited until I had a job worth keeping. And, and I was walking down the street of Cairo, Egypt, walking to a Bible study. And the Holy Spirit just shrouded me, just came upon me in such a powerful way. And he said, I want you to go back to Corpus Christi, which means the body of Christ. And I want you to begin the ministry there. And I had told him, if I ever got to the position that I had, I, I would not be able to leave it for ministry. But I remember that day like it was a few minutes ago. And I remember crying uncontrollably by myself, walking down a lonely road in Cairo, saying, I don't want this world's goods. I want you. I want you. You're all I want. And I know sometimes when you preach to poor people, they may say, no, I want this and that. And there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But but you don't ever want wealth to have you. And if you have Christ and Christ has you, wealth will never pollute you. It, you will never misuse it. Amen, somebody. And so here, here, this is what we should do. We must go to the world, the world around us, and go to beyond our borders because 
the scripture tells us very clearly and profoundly that all that we have, all that we have is in Jesus. All that we have is in Jesus. The Bible says that, that he made everything and without him, nothing. If you don't have Jesus, you have zero. You may say, well, Pastor, what is the nothing? The nothing that you and I uh, have without Jesus, we have nothing, is really almost incomprehensible because the, the nothing that we see is something. But when God made the universe, he made it from nothing. And, and that empowers me as a believer. It empowers you as a believer when you know that the God you serve, the God who lives inside you, in your, your heart, made everything from nothing. What an amazing reality. And here, so we teach Jesus, as Paul taught in the, the Ephesians, he is the source of every blessing. Jesus, that's why we preach him. He is the source of every blessing. Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem. That's why I said when we started out that you, you do not focus on your problems. You focus on Jesus. And he is the supply of every need. I want you, all of us, to be unapologetically Christian. I like to tell people I'm unapologetically Christian. But let's be unapologetically Christian. Let us be unashamedly passionate. We have an opportunity to take Jesus Christ to this generation, I believe, like no other generation has had. We have the means to do it. Let's do it. Jesus Christ is supreme over all. Jesus Christ has, has preeminence. That is, he's the most important being in the universe. That's why we preach him. He is preeminent in that he has the highest rank he has the greatest influence. He, ha he is most important and he has the greatest dignity. He is supreme. He is the sovereign over the universe. I, I would like to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And these scriptures must inform us because we don't want to just go around saying Jesus, Jesus, not knowing why. Let's, let's look at what the prophet Isaiah says to us. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The child is born. The son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Said the government, God's government, the whole kingdom, is upon his shoulder. But remember what Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 12. He says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want to talk about this new creation that we are. But before I talk about the new creation, I want us to grasp the creator. Jesus is the creator. And that one, the father, made everything through him and by him. And not only through him, by him, but for him. This is all about Jesus. Isaiah says the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, this is so amazing that the government of God, the kingdom of God, 
is upon the shoulder of one being. A man. Jesus is a man. God became a man. Isn't that so amazing that God so loved us that he was willing to become a man? But he's the God-man. And the Bible says that the government of God is upon not his shoulders, but his shoulder. So it rests upon him and him alone. It is so amazing. He says, Isaiah said, saw him and he said his name will be called Wonderful Counselor or Exceptional Counselor, Distinguished Counselor, Mighty God. And he will also be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the scripture says that, that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, I would like for us to look at how God called us into this fellowship. God has called each of us into this fellowship the fellowship of his son, that you and I might participate, but in this government and the peace of God that has no end. Now, you, you're obviously a lot smarter than I, if you can understand this, this statement, that we will be increasing throughout eternity. I, I can't grasp that. So why did I, did I mention that? Why do I mention that? Because our job is a very serious job as men and women of God. We must tell the world this story. We must, we must live the gospel. We must not speak the gospel and live contrary to the gospel. Let us live the gospel. He says in Isaiah 9, 7, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order or to set it up and to establish, to support, to make firm the kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And my mind goes back to Jesus in the temple when, when they are desecrating the temple. There are men and women who say they are men and women of God or men of God. They are desecrating the temple. They are using the temple for their, their private, as their private business, a way to enrich themselves. And Jesus takes, a, makes a whip and he, he makes a whip and he drives them out of the, of the, the house of God. Get out of here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He drives them out. And John was watching that. And John was watching that. He said, then later we remembered that the scripture, zeal for your house has eaten me up. I stand here today in front of you and say that zeal for his house, which you are, has eaten me up. Hallelujah. So Jesus is the only one who has the right to rule. In Ezekiel chapter 21, I won't read it, I'll share a few thoughts. In Ezekiel 21, 25 through 27, this is the story about Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, who was so wicked that God took the throne from him 
and he uttered this word that this was, he was going to exalt the humble and humble the exalted. That's very big for us to know. God, this is what God does. He will exalt the humble and humble the exalted. And as men and women of God, we must take this message as well, not as it were the prosperity gospel, because true prosperity is spiritual first. And this is what God wants us to take to his church. Let's take this message with the zeal that was upon Jesus and in Jesus and through Jesus when he drove the money changers out of the temple. Then go back, going back to Ezekiel 21, he goes on to say, overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer the crown. Nobody will sit on David's throne any longer until until he comes whose right it is and God the Father Yahweh Jehovah says and I will give it to him that's why we preach Jesus we preach Jesus not because it just sounds good because we are commanded to preach Jesus no no other name my mother used to sing, no other name I know. And that song, that, that song says, uh, Jesus is real to me, but no other name I know. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that there's no one else I am intimately acquainted with as I am with Jesus. Jesus is everything to me. I was in a place in Ghana a few years ago, in a place called Swidrel. My wife was there. Several of us, of us were there. And I uttered these words. Jesus is the love of my life. It just came out. And I know most men will say, my wife, she's the love of my life. I understand what you mean. And perhaps you need to say that in various contexts. But I said, I followed up by saying, and I want Jesus to be the love of my wife's life. I don't mind coming in second to Jesus. Jesus is the love of my life. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, verses 1 and 2, he talks further about Jesus. And we, we need to just inundate ourselves with Jesus. You know, be flooded with Jesus. You know, there's a song we used to sing when I was a boy, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noonday, and Jesus at supper time. Jesus all day long. And when we get to that point where we love him, where our zeal for him and for his house has consumed us, we will make changes that cannot be unchanged. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first two verses. Paul speaks this, and this is pastors, leaders, this is what uh, I've embraced as well. It says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. And let's read that again. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. What he meant. 
was he did not use human tactics and, and understanding to preach Christ. He didn't preach Christ because he was naturally gifted as a talkative or a well-spoken person. He said, this, is, this is what I love about this, these verses. For I determined not to know anything among you. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Paul is saying is, these are two important things that every believer must know. Who Jesus is as a person. We must stand on our, as, it, as uh, the old cowboys would say in Texas, you stand on our hind legs and rear up to say, no, this life is about Jesus, who he is as a person, and what he has done. Who he is as a person is unchangeable, and what he has done is unchangeable, and I've bet my life on him. Hallelujah, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. I think there's a, a brother who is from South Africa, I believe, who wrote these, these lyrics. It's called Falling in Love with Jesus. It says, Falling in Love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. There is no place I'd rather be. Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. That should be our chorus as we preach Christ. I would like also for the Holy Spirit to move in us, as I forestated, that the Holy Spirit in you argues for the divinity of Jesus because Jesus lives in you by His Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ, at his resurrection, became a life-giving spirit. Now notice, Jesus Christ became a life-giving spirit. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus. We preach this person became a life-giving spirit. And so when Jesus Christ rose from the the grave, he had the authority of God the Father to give himself to whomever he will. You are here not because you had good sense. I'm not here because I had good sense. I'm here because Jesus chose me. I know so many people have an issue with that statement. And so if I should say anything that you disagree with or you have a problem with, I want you to talk with me. Talk, don't just leave. Because remember what I said, the, the greatest enemy to new knowledge is the knowledge I already have. Jesus chose you. Remember he chose his 12. He chose 12. He said, I chose you 12, but, and one of you is a devil. I knew who I chose. But Jesus is not choosing devils among us. He's choosing those who will inherit eternal life. That's what Jesus is doing. 
Have you ever read in the Bible some scripture and you knew that scripture was for you or those scriptures were just for you? Do, do you, did anybody ever feel like that other than me? I, I felt like that. Oh, just a few of you. Just a few of you. Well, I want, I want you, and I believe this is by the Holy Spirit, by, by the indwelling Christ. When you read the Bible from now on, read it as God's love letter to you. Don't read it to get some sermon material. With God's love letter to you. This, this, the following verse is a verse that I, when I read, I had a strange sense that this was put in the Bible for me. No, I'm not, I'm not a heretic. Don't be afraid. But it was like, it was put there for me. Let's read Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this is going to happen. What's going to happen? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There are many who will say, you need to leave, move on from that. Don't, don't talk about that because that's not for now. That's for the millennium. That's a lazy preacher. That's a lazy preacher who would say that. When I read this, I, I thought, this is mine. This is for me. I need to go all over the world. I need to travel the whole world. And I didn't have the means anymore to travel the world. A few before COVID hit, we went one year, 17 nations, 17 nations preaching the gospel. Another year before that, I think 16 nations, 15 nations, 14 nations going to the world to say, let me tell you about the joy that I've found. Let me tell you about the savior that I have found. That's what God wants from you. I didn't do it because I had money. I did it by faith. Whatever God gives you to do, you are able to do it. Pastors, leaders, bishops, whatever God gives you to do, he's going to equip you to do it. Somebody said many years ago when I was, before I was a preacher, they said, if your vision is doable by your smarts or your wealth or whatever, it's too small. I want us to have an enlargement here today and tomorrow. Let us be enlarged by the Christ who lived in us. Jesus Christ came. He was the only light that came into this dark world. The only light, can you imagine? It's the only light. There was no light. He was surrounded by darkness. And he defeated it. Jesus, by himself, defeated the host of hell. By himself. That's why I preached Jesus. Let me go back to my scripture. So when I read this scripture, I knew that I had to travel. And by that time, I spent all of the resources the Lord had given to me. But God made it possible. And I'm looking out over my audience today. 
And God's making it possible for somebody who's listening right now. Because this is what makes it possible. Not what you, what you have materially, but your faith. But your faith. Isn't it strange? I'm finding myself going in many directions, but tolerate it for me. I, I was recently talking to our church about fasting, and I was, I, I was going to fast and fasting and asking Jesus to give me greater faith. I want, I want greater faith than I've had. And I said, I want greater faith. I was thinking about the disciples when they were on the, on the boat in the, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was asleep on the stern. He was asleep in the stern. And the boat was filling up with water. And the disciples accused Jesus of not caring because he didn't wake up and, and pacify them. He did not give them their milk bottle. He didn't pacify them. So they said, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus woke up. And what did he say? Oh, you of little faith. Now, I've pondered that scripture. I had never pondered it before because I thought, well, Jesus said it. It was right. But I began to ponder. I said, why would Jesus say, oh, ye of little faith, when the boat is filling up with water and everybody knows that a boat can be filled with water and float? But Jesus said that. Why? Because he was on the boat with them. They had God on the boat and they were fearful. And what this tells me, it teaches me, we have not just God on the boat. We have God in the vessel. Why are we fearful? Why do we believe if it takes money, we can't do it? We can do it. Why? Because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this is the catcher through Christ. Well, I think, I think we missed a big miracle because the disciples were faithless. We missed a real big miracle. Who knows what Jesus was planning, what the Father was planning. Perhaps the Father was planning on the boat filling up with water but refusing to sink. Could, can you imagine if they had gotten to the shore and water's pouring out of the boat and it's still afloat? This is what I know. In 37 years of pastoral ministry, 50 years of preaching the gospel, Jesus has never, never failed me. Not once. Everything he told me, he did. There was sometimes at the last minute, I remember needing to go, needing money to go to a trip, needing a large sums. And I said, God, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? I've told everybody we're coming. What are we going to do, Jesus? And at the last minute, it came, and I was so embarrassed. And I said to him, the last time I did that, I said, Lord, I will never doubt you again. Well, the next year came. 
and he was waiting again. See, oftentimes these things are testing us, our metal. We, we must take a, not a Jesus who is sometimey, a Jesus who will let you down, but we must take a Jesus who will never let you down, never fail you, always come through for you. That's the Jesus who, that we want to preach. A Jesus who says, I will be with you even in death. I will be with you till the end of this age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the Jesus I know. I know that Jesus. Let's preach that Jesus. Let's preach that Jesus. You can't live this as long as we have lived and not know that Jesus. In Hebrews, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Let me tell you a little bit about 4, 6 because when I read Habakkuk 2, 14, I, 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 I just knew it was there for me because the, the Lord gave Moses understanding that the glory of God was going to cover the earth. Then he gave Isaiah understanding that the knowledge of God was going to cover. He gave Habakkuk that the knowledge of the glory of, of the Lord would cover. But this is what he said to Paul, through Paul. Through Paul. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. This, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can preach around the world, but until we show men and women Jesus, we have not preached the gospel. We have not preached the gospel. Let me, let me amplify Jesus a little bit more. Let me do that just a little bit more. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, the, the first six verses. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets by fallible men, men who could make mistakes. Men, uh, one, one man ran, uh, ran for his life from Jezebel, one prophet. But he says God has done that. But the same God who did that in past time has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, he, Jesus is heir of all things, through whom also he, God the Father, made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory. Jesus is the brightness of Yahweh. He is the brightness of Yahweh. And the express image of his person, who he is. Now, Jesus is all of that. So Jesus, we, we can safely say, is God of very God. God of God. So he is God. He's not a second God. He is not a lesser God. He is God. He was in the beginning. He was not created. 
This is why we want to teach Jesus. God did that for us. God, God sent himself, sent his son for us to save us. And now that we are in, in the, the kingdom, we don't want to close the door on others by preaching another gospel. Listen to what he says. He is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself, Jesus, when he had by himself, surrounded by countless numbers of wicked beings, wicked angels, he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus overcame and he sat down at the right hand of God. A man. I want you to just listen. I know you know these things, but let me remind you of them. A man, a man, a man who had, had flesh, blood, bone, man, ascended to heaven and sat on the throne of God. First man to sit at the, at the right hand of God the Father. A man is in heaven. And because of that man who is in heaven, I'm going there too. Because I'm in him and he is in me. He is in you and you are in him. And right now you can safely say, you can safely say to the right audience, of course, that I am too seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the message of Christ. It's not just about what we can feel in this present day. We, we like to shout. I like to shout. I don't like to cry, but I cry a lot. But I like to shout. I like to talk about Jesus and what he has done for me. As the song says, my soul cries out, hallelujah. And I thank him for saving me. Yeah. Let's, let's renew our hope. Let's renew our faith. And let's take this message to the world. The scripture says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when Christ sat down, you know what that indicated? And I know you know. It indicates his work was over. The only thing that is keeping that from being your face-to-face -face present reality is time. Satan is not going to be defeated. He is defeated. He is defeated. You don't have to go defeat the devil. All you have to do is stand and prove it. Stand. That's what he's asking us to do. Just stand. I remember, as I was telling you the story, I almost fretted. When the Lord didn't come through. And then I realized something. We must exercise faith in Jesus. We must have faith in him at all times. He can do He can do for you what he wants whenever he wants it. But the reason he waits is because we need 
faith strengthening. We need faith strengthening. All of us need faith strengthening. So I, I, I have to go to the gym of faith on a regular basis. Faith strengthening. But he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. And we talks about that, having become, he has finished his work. Not that there was any doubt with Jesus and the angels, but Jesus' work is finished. It's a finished work, so he's better than the angels. As he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So Jesus, the excellent name is son. Jesus, son. Jesus is God's own son. That's amazing. That is amazing. It's such a beautiful mystery. Let's look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did he, Yahweh or Jehovah, which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? So the answer is not one of them. Angels are, are to serve us, minister to us, who are the heirs of salvation. You and I are heirs of salvation. What does that mean? That means that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What that means is that in the final analysis, Jesus, as it were, cannot get his inheritance without us. This is why we preach Jesus. When Jesus gets his full inheritance, we're going to be there getting ours too. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. Which of them did he ever say, you're my son today, I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, when he brings the firstborn. Now, firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created. It does not mean that at all. What firstborn means is he has the highest rank over all creation. Wow. Has the highest rank. Jesus has the highest rank. He has preeminence. He's, he has the first in priority. I remember we have this friend from India who tells us a story when he travels to the States. Sometimes he'll travel to the States and he travels so often that sometimes they will give him a, a business class ticket. And he says, when he gets that business class ticket, he says he fixes his clothes. He walks differently than he walks when he's going to the economy. But you know, I understand somewhat what he's talking about. Because I like to get on the plane, like first or second, so that I can put my bags over my head. So I like priority. I like to have that priority. This priority is different. This priority is because he, he is son. He is the firstborn. He has authority over all of creation. He, you can safely say he made it all. Or you can safely say God the Father made it through him and by him and for him. 
and for all of us who are in him. Jesus is so, so beautiful. He is so, so beautiful. Let, let, let me finish this little segment. He says, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, to, the, to Jesus, he says, your throne, oh God, God talking to God. So God is talking to God. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. What about us? What about us? This is what he says. Scripture says that when Jesus ascended, he ascended higher than the heavens. That's an amazing statement. He ascended higher than the heavens. This is why I preach him. There's nobody like him. You don't know anyone like Jesus. Oh, I know the scripture says we shall be like him, but you don't know anybody like him. He ascended higher than the heavens, above all principality and power, all authority, all rule. Jesus ascended higher. Think about it. What does that bring to you? You and I ascended in him. Jesus, when he ascended on high, he went past created the created order. And you know what's past the created order? God. God. He ascended above it all. It's our responsibility to take these things to the church first. Because the church must know who she is. She's a joint heir. And one day, when Jesus comes, all of the crazy stuff is going to be over. You see, I know that whether you admit it or not, sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you get discouraged. And sometimes you just have to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm not looking at anybody perfect, but there's somebody perfect who lives inside everybody I'm looking at. And we're going to get in touch with him on a daily basis. We're going to get in touch with him on a daily basis. We're going to walk through this earth. We're going to tell everybody, everybody that we meet, not about the things we have learned, not even about our methods of preaching and teaching. We're going to tell them about this Jesus, this Jesus, God's son, who lives in us. And I want to just end right now by saying what he has done for you and what he has done in you cannot be undone. Cannot be undone. I'm going to, with that statement, it's like I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Can't be undone. I want to talk about that more. But I, I'm not going to get this, my information out of some books. I'm going to get it out of the book, the Bible, and show you there aren't enough demons in hell to snatch you. Anything that can snatch you from God 
from Jesus Christ is greater than he is. But nothing can snatch you. Nothing can snatch you. That old stanza, an amazing grace, I think it says something like, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. I want you to know that I've been through dangers, toils, and snares. And I am holding on to Jesus, but because Jesus is holding on to me. Thank you. We'll be back. God bless you.